0: Let's stand and take our Bibles tonight, this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians 8, while you're standing and doing that, I want our members to look around. We have several guests and visitors here today. Would you be kind enough to share your Bible with our guests and visitors? And if they don't have a King James Version translation, please get one. This past Wednesday night, we had a series of wonderful and very important classes that we did on the church campus. And one of them was on why the King James Version is a trusted translation. And I had Pastor AJ teach. it; did an excellent job on that. And we have that available for you. We also had a session on uh, the battle for identity. And... And dealing with human sexuality that you, you want to get access to, and then also one that we did uh, on Islam and how to how to reach uh, how to reach Muslims with the gospel. So if you'd like to have access, to it, please see us. We'll get that to you. We we are emphasizing our our missions conference unofficially today. We are launching it. You come Wednesday night, and you will be getting uh, one of the Mission Possible books. Now our theme this year is Mission Possible. Everybody knows Mission Impossible, but mission is possible. And God's Word tells us how it's possible. And in this booklet, it's a very well-designed booklet. We're going to have uh, just the the schedule for the week. And then inside there, we have the pictures of our, our missionary guests that we're going to have here. Our brother, Mrs. Terry Unruh from Sri Lanka. He's going to be one of our keynote speakers. Uh, brother and Mrs. Uh, Dave Hetzer, who are missionaries on deputation, going to going to Sri Lanka. a Good friend of mine, pastored in California for several years before he went to Idaho and then pastored a good church there. The Lord recently worked on his heart. a family of seven uh, to leave the United States of America to go to Sri Lanka to serve God. Rest for the rest of their life there, and I believe God's going to use them greatly. We have uh, my good friends, Brother and Mrs. Hoffman Barry and Demisa Kaufman from South Korea, and great work they've got there in South Korea. I have had the opportunity to be there and preaching for them and. I'm thankful they're going to be here to, to preach, and um, uh, for him to be here to preach, and you get a chance to hear him. And then the Travis family, which is a, a, a veteran missionary family that's in the country, Nepal. And Joel and his wife will be here, and we're looking forward to hearing from them. And then the Mislan family, which he's, they're basically second-generation missionaries to the Philippines. And of Jonathan's family, his parents were veteran missionaries to the Philippines for many years, still there serving God, started several churches, have a Bible college. And then Annika, his wife, her father is my good friend, Dr. Ed Loren who pastors Christian Bible Baptist Church there in San Pedro, and I've had opportunity almost every year for the last 10 years to go there to preach for him and they 've got a wonderful work. I think close to 200 works have been established from that. We have supported that work from for many, many years, and we're thankful for that. so this is going to be an exciting time and uh, I hope it's not said that I missed a conference that anybody say I missed a conference, you want to be here for that we're mixing it up a little bit differently in terms of speakers and presentations and things, and we just have a series of topics we 've asked them to cover. It'll be a blessing to you. And we want to be a vital part of our missions conference. And that should be the heartbeat of the church because that's the heartbeat of God. Amen? And every church should be involved with that. So tonight, this morning, we're going to see a vital aspect of that. And uh, being here in California, we can identify with this concept here. So go with me to 2 Corinthians 8 and follow as I read chapter 8, verses 1 to 9. And if you've got a pen or highlighter, you might want to be ready to underline certain words or circle certain words. I'm going to tell you about this morning. We're going to have a Bible study time. While I'm preaching, and I hope I've got enough time here just to get this in here in the next 40 minutes to try and encourage you about uh, God's grace through God's churches. Notice verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit. Now the word wit means to witness of, to, the testimony of. We do you, we want you to wit, uh, to do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How then in a great trial of affliction... The abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. What a paradoxical statement. Deep poverty, and yet they abounded to the riches of their liberality. When you're in poverty, how do you give? When you have very little, how do you give? Living here in California is very difficult. Some of us feel like we're in poverty. But this, this verse of Scripture speaks about the liberality of their riches. Notice this. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. Praying us with much entreaty. Literally, it means this. They were begging Paul, please, take this. Praying was with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Now underline that phrase. Because that defines why we participate financially in mission. It's called the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. It's our participation. It gets better as we go on. Notice verse 5. And this they did, not as we hoped. But first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Underline the phrase, the will of God. What I'm going to tell you this morning is the will of God for us. Verse 6, insomuch that we desire Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Now that's interesting. The grace of God that was working in the church of the Macedonia, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, the area of Macedon founded by Alexander the Great. The grace of God that was abounding in those churches that were in deep poverty. Paul said, I sent Titus to you that this same grace would abound in you also. So, God is saying there, it's not limited as an isolated event that happened one time in history. God is saying here, it is to be repeated. God's grace is not limited to salvation. God's grace is unlimited in salvation. Amen? It's not a limited grace. Amen? It's a grace that's unlimited. But it doesn't stop in salvation. It continues as we go on in Christian life. And notice verse (coughs) 7. Therefore, as you abound in everything. Don't say you can't do something for God. You abound in everything. Amen? Everybody can do something for God. As you abound in everything, notice he said, in faith, and utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence. And in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others. Now the word forwardness, you might want to put it down now just in case I don't get to it, means the earnestness in earnest desire, the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. Verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye, through his poverty, might be rich. Father, this morning, what we've just read, man, it's so powerful. God's grace through God's churches God's grace in individual lives. And this morning, as we are on the cusp of launching our 20th consecutive missions conference, thank you, Lord, that this church has embraced enthusiastically and has learned to bound in this grace also. That, as Paul said in Philippians 4, we've done it once, but we're going to do it again. And I pray, Lord, this morning for special grace that you give us, a special grace in abounding, in participation, and seeing that everyone has a role and a part that we're capable of having in the missions process. As we look at God's method for financing missions, God's successful means for, for uh, financing missions, and, Lord, it's proven, it's, it's the way that God has worked we pray this morning that you would work, do a great and abounding work on us. As we look at the subject of mission possible to this morning and tonight, I pray that you'll help us as a church body to enthusiastically not only embrace it, but to live it out. Father, we live in a day and time when people say it's not possible to build churches. It's not possible for people to get saved. It's not possible for missionaries to go out. It's not possible to preach, to do all these things. But the Bible tells us it is possible. And Father, we know that the solution is right here in this room. And we're praying, God, an extraordinary measure of grace would be extended and worked through our lives to your glory. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Our theme this year is mission possible. Missions is possible. Paul in Romans 10, verses 14 and 15, posed four questions. He said, How shall they believe on him and whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear of him and whom, whom, whom there has not been preached? And how shall they preach except they be sent? And he asked these questions about how. The questions is, How? Will the world hear the gospel? How can we keep missionaries on the field? How can our church be a missions participating church? How can we do God's will through mission? And the Bible sums it up. How should they preach except they be sent? But with this how... We see that God shows us the solution and the mechanism. And so we see that this morning in 2 Corinthians 8, 2 Corinthians 9, possibly if we have time, 2 Corinthians 10 and Philippians chapter 4 today. I want you to see the following this morning because we need to get right in the message. Number one, I want you to see the priority of missions. Missions is the fundamental priority of the local New Testament church. If you sit here this morning as perhaps a member of the church, a visitor to the church, an attendee of the church, someone interested in the, in, the, in the going concern of the church, we must understand this morning that the priority of every local New Testament church is missions. And so we need to look at that. First of all, we see that missions is mandated by, by the Lord Jesus Christ. We are mandated, we are commanded to preach the gospel, to win souls, to plant churches, to make disciples, and continue in repeating the process. Matthew 28, if you'll look in your notes this morning for time. Matthew 28 verses 19 and 20. The Lord Jesus Christ <clears throat> prior to ascending to heaven assembled there in a mountain with his disciples. That was the nucleus of the local church at that time. We know from Acts chapter 1, it was just 120 people that made up the nucleus of that church. And by the way, I don't want to underestimate the, the size. of 120 is a good number of people, but at that time, they felt like they were very small compared to the population of the world. And Jesus standing there, he told them in verse 18, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. And I just want to tell you this morning, Jesus still has all power. He's not limited. Amen. He has all Power. He has all power to save. He has all power to work in us. He has all power to start more churches. Jesus is not limited in any way. The 20th century doesn't limit him. Listen, technology doesn't limit him. Sending a man into orbit doesn't limit him. I'll tell you this morning, Jesus is still all powerful. We have an all powerful Jesus. And as he stood before those disciples who were insecure and fearful and intimidated by the mandate, he says, Go ye and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And he says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. He's basically saying we're to go and bring the gospel to everyone. The word nations means the word ethnos. Ethnos means, it's where we get our word ethnic from. That means all language groups, all people groups. Man, it was awesome yesterday to see all the different groups of our of our church represented in our so many outreach. We had English speaking, Chinese speaking, Tagalog speaking, Spanish speaking, we had Romanian speaking. I mean, we had every language represented in our church that was there yesterday out to bring the gospel. It was awesome to pair people up and watch and get reports back as they were able to share the gospel with so many different people and invite them to church. And the Bible tells us that as a command, we're to teach or make disciples of all nations. So as we look at the Bay Area, we're very unique. In the Bay Area, we're very ethnically diverse. We're very ethnically diverse in many, many ways there. And so it's wonderful. God has brought the world to us. But I remind you that the world is bigger than the Bay Area. The Bay Area itself may have somewhere around 1.8 million people. But I remind you that the world consists of 7.7 billion people. And so we're to go to all ethnic groups and nations. We're to preach the gospel. We're to to make disciples and to start churches. Notice Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me. Both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Now that, that phrase, the uttermost parts of the earth. Is very It's very uh, imaginative and very colorful. It's very descriptive of how far we're to go the gospel. He says, to the uttermost parts of the earth. He's saying, you you know, we've got to find places where nobody else has gone to. We need to go to places where there are no roads. We may have to go to places where there are no airports. We may have to go to places where perhaps we'll be the first Baptist missionary that will ever get in that area. But we begin here. As a church, we affect our city. As a church, we affect our our, our county. As a church, we affect our our coastline. As a church we affect our country. As a, as a church we affect the continent. We are to be witnesses in the all ears. We're not to limit ourselves in any way. I'm thankful that I've had the chance to travel just a little bit there and I'm thankful that I've had the chance to witness in the at the Manila airport and lead people to Christ. And I've had opportunity to give gospel tracts out in China and I've had go- opportunity to give gospel tracts and witness in South Korea. And I've had opportunities to, go- to give gospel tracts and witness in tai- Taipei, Taiwan and several other cities around there. I'm thankful for all those different countries I've had opportunity to go through and preach the gospel. But I'll remind you this morning, that's everyone's responsibility. All of us are to take the gospel there. We're to be witnesses in that context. And then notice in Acts chapter 13 verses 1 to 3, as we taught in Sunday school this morning, this passage of scripture is considered and labeled the cradle of modern missions. We could really say modern missions was birthed right here in Acts chapter 13. In Acts 13 verses 1 to 3, we see a local church. It was the church at Antioch. That was Antioch of Syria. Antioch of Syria was was a very large city. Some say at that time it may have been the second or third largest city in the Roman Empire. Syria at that time as it is today was north of Israel. It was right near the coastline of the Mediterranean Sea. It was a thriving city. It was a bounding city. Some men of Cyrene and Cyprus heard the gospel on the day of Pentecost back in Acts chapter 2. They heard the gospel preached. They were among those who received Jesus Christ as their Savior. They got baptized. They're among those 3,000 that got saved and baptized. They got trained and nurtured. And then the time came as persecution came to Jerusalem. They left that area. They went over there to the area of Cyprus and Serene. And some of them, as the Bible tells us, made their way to Antioch of Syria because it was an important city. It was a it was a uh, it was a very influential city. It was like if someone here got saved and baptized in this church and they moved from here to a different part of let's say of this country. It's like if they moved to New York City, or if they moved to Atlanta, Georgia, or if they moved to Chicago, Illinois, we you know, they would go there. And uh, they're excited about Jesus. Well, these people were excited about Jesus, and they decided they were not going to be limited just, be, be, just because they came out of Jerusalem. These men, and they didn't have gospel tracts. I'm not sure what they did then. They just went and told people how to get saved, and people started getting saved. And, uh, and a church uh, if you want an assembly of people was uh, was kind of uh, was organizing there but had, did not have the, the sanction of the local New Testament church yet and so they sent messengers back to Jerusalem they said hey I want to tell you we've got a group here that are getting saved and things are going on here and there's where people are pretty much on fire and so the church of Jerusalem which had many great preachers they had the apostles and they had men that joined them like Barnabas and they prayed about and they said well, you know we need to send the right man for that situation and that right man happened to be Pastor Barnabas and Barnabas went there. By the way, his name means the son of comfort, the son of consolation. And Barnabas traveled all the way up to Syria of Antioch. And he went there. And the Bible says this, when he had seen the grace of God. That means he saw people getting saved. And we saw these people on fire. He got there and as a pastor, he said, man, I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to bring the wrong element here. I want to make sure I'm right on target. And the Bible goes on by telling us he was a good man and he was full of the Holy Ghost. He said, I'm not there for my agenda. And I'm not there to build my kingdom. I'm there to build the kingdom of God. And so Barnabas got there and he got off fired up and he started training these people in the word of God and he organized a church there and they started having services and they started having baptism and they started having teaching classes and discipleship and things of that nature and then Barnabas started to realize man this is bigger than me and I've got to get some help and this is a training opportunity first person on his mind was a man by the name of Saul, we know Saul Saul happened to be the apostle Paul at that time Saul was still a believer growing he was still learning the ropes, he was still learning how to serve Christ and learning how to be a preacher and so Barnabas made a long trek down to Damascus. He found Saul. He brought him back up to Syria there. Up to Antioch, Syria. And there together they co together. And God was doing some phenomenal things. Now we get to Acts chapter 13. Are you there? Amen? Are you, Acts chapter 13. Say amen because I'm going to keep preaching. You won't go out for lunch. You don't say amen. Okay? Acts chapter 13. They're right there. And we find this church now has matured. It has exploded in growth. Five Godly men are preachers. We have their names in verse 1. It's a local church with five men. And they were doing something very unique. The Bible says in verse 2, it's a minister to the Lord. Now you might to write this down. You didn't hear this in Sunday school. The word minister, as we look at that in the Bible, typically means, in most situations, serving the Lord. But in this verse of Scripture, it's one of those few exceptions where it means more than serving the Lord. The word minister is not the word we get our word deacon from, diaconos. It's a different word. And it means this, they labored and worked past the point of exhaustion. In other words, they were working hard for Jesus. Listen, the ministry, you need to work hard if you're in the ministry. You don't take you don't, you don't, you don't take, take it easy in the ministry. You work hard in the ministry. And these men were working hard. They were laboring to and past the point of exhaustion. And they were working hard. In addition to that, they were fasting. Now, fasting is a, is a spiritual discipline. It's a physical and spiritual discipline that we need to exercise every now and then. Where we abstain from taking meals so that we can be clear. So the Holy Spirit can be clear in His communication to us. We deny feeding the flesh so that we can feed the spirit. Now for you to fast, number one you should have doctor's approval. If you're diabetic or have a health condition like that, you want to get doctor's approval for that. Most situations, if you have a health condition, the doctor may give you some caution, but you want to get caution and direction. You want to make sure that it's a liquid type of fast so you stay hydrated. But fasting is good for you spiritually. Fasting is a time so that you can have clarity in your mind without hunger pains and all these things and cravings for french fries and all those kind of things. You're not thinking about food but you're thinking about Jesus, amen? And you're thinking about God. And so, while these men were laboring at the point of exhaustion, and while they were fasting, notice what happened in verse 2. The Holy Ghost said, isn't it interesting? It was very clear. The Holy Spirit Spirit was speaking to them. Well, isn't it very interesting? As they were pro- trying to find the mind of Christ, what was the next thing they were supposed to do? They were praying about what God would want them to do. God said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work when do I have called them. What does that mean? What does that mean? You know what the Holy Spirit was saying? The church was ready The church was willing. And the church was at the right point where God says, I'm ready to send missionaries out of that church. And He said, I'm going to take your two best men because you've got three other good preachers. I'm going to take your two best men who've already shown and proven that they're in the church planting mindset. They've got the hearts of church planters. They've got a missionary's heart. Got, they have a pioneering spirit. And so I'm going to send these men out. And God took two of the best men out of the church and took those men. And the church said, well, we're, we're, we're with it. They, the Holy Spirit spoke to those men. The Holy Spirit spoke to the church. And let me tell you this. If God worked in your heart, sir, about going to the, about being a missionary, preacher, my spirit should identify with your spirit. We should identify together that God's in this matter. And and we find that here in verses 2 and 3. The spirit of God and the church identified in this matter. And so the church fasted again and wanted to make sure that this sending would be a holy sending. And they fasted and they prayed and they put their hands on them and they signified their approval in sending these men out. And we know the rest of the story. Barnabas and Saul would go out and God would start many churches. The churches of Macedonia were among those that were started. In this mandate, what, what were we supposed to be doing? Him. We're to be praying and fasting for the Holy Spirit to call out laborers for the harvest. Oswald J. Smith, who pastored the People's Church up in Toronto, Canada, a great mission sending church at the early part of the 20th century, said this, No one has the right to hear the gospel twice while there, where there remains someone who has not heard it once. So what are we supposed to do? What's the mandate? Well, we need to, we need to go. We need to be witnesses. We need to realize we need to be, we do, need to be doing just exactly what Heritage Baptist Church is doing right now. We're to teach all nations. And then from there, we're to pray for labors for the harvest. And we're to pray that God would send forth labors even from our own church. So we see the mandate in this, in this, in, in this priority. But notice there's a missionary in this priority. And the missionary I want you to focus on is the subject of chapter 8 and 9 of our reading. That missionary happens to be the Apostle Paul. Now Paul was a Jew that that got saved. He he got saved out of works by the grace of God. And Paul, we can trace that he was one of those rare situations. We trace his calling at the same time as his conversion. Now, God doesn't do that with everyone. But in his case, we can trace his calling at the same time of his conversion. And notice in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, here's what God said. God told a man by the name of Ananias, The Lord said unto him, Go thy way. For he, that is Paul, is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings, and the children of Israel. Now, if you read through all the book of Acts continuously, beginning chapter 9 to get to chapter 28, you see all of that being fulfilled. He goes to non-Jewish people, which were Gentiles. He goes to the Jews, and he goes to kings. We see him preaching to Herod. We see him preaching to Festus and Felix. We see all of that fulfilled. He was a chosen vessel unto me. Now listen, missions when God chooses you. Missions when God makes very clear in your heart that he wants you to go out. He has a country in mind. of all, if you're a man, he's called you to preach. You should sense that urgency to preach. Paul said, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. As a preacher, I cannot imagine not preaching the word of God. I get antsy. I'm going to be antsy all of next week. The preachers will be preaching Wednesday night and Thursday night and Friday and Saturday and Sunday. I'm going to start to climb the walls. I'm going to start going crazy. My wife's going to want to kick me out of the house and say, you're going nuts here, son. She's going to pray for me that I get get my heart right with God there in that matter because I'm just going to go crazy there that I want to preach. And I'm just saying that jokingly, but I'm saying today it's just, it's, just, you, it's just if you're called to preach you want to preach God's word you want to get it out and so you have that but God calls certain men and preachers to go to foreign, foreign countries to be his representative notice Paul was a missionary who was passionate he had a passion for winning souls one of the things you want to note if God's put in your heart to winning souls to Christ you want to be sensitive to the missionary calling and listen ladies perhaps single ladies today God might lead you to marry a preacher missionary one day and that man if he is he should be someone who has a passion for souls Paul said my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved when he got down to the city of Athens the Bible says his heart was wholly stirred within him when he saw the city given to idolatry so he was a missionary who was passionate but he was a missionary who was a pioneer listen Paul was a great missionary example for you and I because he pioneered his way into different places I mean think with me for just a minute Paul and Barnabas get sent out. They go to Barnabas' home, home island, which was Cyprus. They go to a city called Paphos. A city, a church gets started there. It's a thriving church. From there, God sends them to Perga. But doors were closed in Perga. They go from Perga up that later on, they get up to Antioch, a uh, uh, different Antioch, Antioch Pisidia. God starts a church there. And they go from Antioch to Pisidia. They go to Iconium. And then they're to Lystra and Derbe. This is Acts 13 and 14. And thriving churches are started there. Paul and Barnabas had some opposition, but thriving churches were started there. Paul described it this way, that the doors of faith were open to the Gentiles. And then they came back home for what we call a furlough. And there on that furlough, they gave a report to the church in Antioch. And from there, they went to the church, down to the church of Jerusalem to deal with an issue. And from there, God put on Paul's heart, we need to go back out. And we need to go visit the churches we established. And they did so. And then God put in his heart, we need to get back and start more churches. God led them there to the area of Macedonia. There in Macedonia, the first church in Macedonia started. The church at Philippi. We get our book of Philippians from that. And then from there, he went to the city of Thessalonica. We get our book of 1 Thessalonians from there. A thriving church was started there. And then we get they go to the church of Berea and the church of Berea was started. And from there, God started three churches. Notice chapter 8 verse 1. It says, Moreover I do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the church of Macedonia. It was those three churches. It was the church at Berea, the church of Thessalonica and the church of Philippi that had an instrumental role and participation with Paul as we'll see there. Well From there, he went down to Athens. And Athens was an important center of education and culture and all those kind of things. And from there, he went to Corinth. And from there, he went to Ephesus. And from there, the gospel spread to Asia Minor. We know that today is modern-day Turkey. At that time, there were several cities that made up that area. Laodicea and Ephesus and places like that. And Colossae and uh, Hierapolis. And uh, the churches that are mentioned there in Revelations 2 and 3. All those churches were at emanation. They were church plants extended from the church which was at Ephesus there. And so Paul was a missionary pioneer. Listen, he, he did all those things you're supposed to do. He preached the gospel. He started churches. He discipled believers. He trained preachers and leaders. He contended with false teachers. He did all of that. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit as he went there. That The necessity to expand his influence to a writing ministry. And the Holy Spirit used him to pen half of the New Testament. He had influence on a writing ministry. He had influence through his praying. He had influence through his preaching. Listen, Paul was a pioneer missionary. That's what God is trying. Trying to do with us here at Heritage Baptist Church. Beloved, we're here for fellowship. Praise God. And beloved, we're here because of family. Praise God. And we're here on a Sunday morning to worship the Lord. But I remind you this morning, brother and sister in Christ, and founding members of the church, and faithful members of the church, and first time members of the church, and those potentially thinking about becoming members of the church, I remind you today that the fundamental priority of Heritage Baptist Church is to be a mission sending church. We're to be praying for mysteries to be sent out. We're to be praying that the gospel would be spread everywhere. That everyone would hear the gospel that everyone would know that Jesus loves them that everyone would know there's a church here that loves them and this is the place where they can get saved and they can start growing in the Lord and finding God doing some great things in their life there. Count Van Zinzidor said this I have but one passion it is he and it is he alone the world is a field and the field is a world henceforth that country shall be my home where I can be most used in winning souls for Christ. My prayer for us this week and I pray for all of you by name I'm praying for all of you by name, Did you have a mission-sending heart, a mission-centric heart, you share the vision, of getting the gospel out, starting churches, getting the work of God done, being like Paul, having an imagination, Lord, could you use me? And saying like Paul, here am I, Lord, send me. We see this morning the fundamental priority, but quickly, would you notice the financial practice? In chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, God gives us the biblical practice, the financial practice for how missions is financed. Now, being here in the Bay Area, we understand the concept of startup businesses. Uh, The Bay Area here has been been the seating place of a lot of initial public offerings known as IPOs and many successful startups have happened here. Let's think about some of the names of familiar companies. Just recently, the last, this last year, Uber and Lyft were IPOs that got started. And we think about Salesforce.com, which has the new building there in San Francisco. And we think about Twitter and Facebook and Google and Cisco Systems from years ago. And Workday over here in Pleasanton and Gilead Sciences and many other uh, uh, corporations. I mean, this has, been a, this has been a great area for investors to go into through, uh, to seed and help start these businesses. Now, all of them required investors to undergird them and to underwrite them Financially, until they could get to the place where they could financially start turning a profit. And the thing that came as they started turning a profit. Of course, they have their initial public offerings, which let them to be public-traded companies, but they had to have financing. Emissions is where God's people are understanding that God uses us to finance the work of missions. Now, the concept and principle is recorded here in 2 Corinthians 8 and Philippians 4 and 2 Corinthians 9. We see the concept here. We find here how God, God's plan for the financing of missionaries to start churches on foreign soil. Now, why do we do that? Well, we want the missionary that is sent out by his local church, number one, as Baptist churches, God wants us to have an equality. We'll see that in a minute. God wants us to have an equality. He doesn't want the burden for supporting a missionary just on one church. He wants us to spread out the risk. He wants us to have every Baptist church of like precious faith share in that burden. So thank God we get to share with many other churches and supporting somewhere up to 140 missionaries and church planters right now. We're hoping this year before the year's over, we'll have taken on 10 new ones. and be close to 150 or so, 145, 150 when this year is over there. And we're just rejoicing that God could use us for that. But we want missionaries that will represent the work of Christ. We want missionaries that are, that are focused, keenly focused on winning souls and, and making disciples of Jesus Christ and then starting churches and getting those people to repeat the process and getting more churches started. If you were here Wednesday night, we showed a wonderful video this, uh, this past Wednesday night of a missionary that we've supported that we support that's been on the field there and uh, there in General Santos, the Philippines uh, there for 23 years Brother Doug Sisson, Brother Sisson's a good friend of mine, several of our staff members went to school with some of his sons and his daughters and Brother Sisson there is doing a great work for God and we just saw the video of just the many, many hundreds of people that are now in the church and thousands have gotten saved in the extensiveness of their ministries and they're starting churches in other places and doing great works of God there and we're thankful for something like that but he got there and was able to stay there and not have to be be bivocational. Bivocational means that he has to go and get a full time sector job to support himself and then go back to ministry. It's very difficult to do that and grow work for God and do great work. And So so the missionary can focus and give all of his attention and pour all of himself uh, into the ministry so he can win souls, make disciples, train new leaders and for him to do that, when we finance that, when we undergird their support that enables the missionary to stay there on the field successfully and get the work of God done. So notice here in chapter 8 and chapter 9, we see God the financial practice. Now, I'm going to blow this real quickly, so follow your notes or listen very carefully. Now, we use the term faith, promise, giving for this. Now, faith, promise, giving is not a Bible term. You don't find that. We've coined it from a combination of words, and we're going to see how this all comes together here, but we'll see the principle at work here in this, in this passage of Scripture. Now, let me give you some things. First of all, in this financial practice, it is God's will Every church and every member is involved in this matter of faith, promise, giving. It is God's will that every church and every member is involved in participating. Okay. Now notice 2 Corinthians 8.5. And this they did, not as we hope, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. The church there, Paul was encouraging the church at Corinth. They had made a pledge a year before, but they did not complete their pledge. And so Paul, and we find that later in this, in this passage of scripture. So Paul was saying, hey, I want you to look at the example of the churches of Macedonia. He says, they, they didn't have the money. They didn't have the resources and what little they did. They gave abundantly, but they didn't do, they didn't do it to us first. They, they gave gave themselves to the Lord, and, they, and then they gave to us. Now, Give your Yourself, is kind of like the example story about a little boy that wanted to participate in a special offering at his church. And the little boy came from a very poor family. He didn't have much. In fact, he didn't have any money to give. And so he was feeling really bad because the preacher preached hard for several days. And now the day came. On a Sunday, they were about to raise an offering. And so the offering plate was being passed. We used offering bags for confidentiality purposes, but they used offering plates. And so the offering plates went around. And when it got to the little boy, he didn't know what to do. So he put the offering plate down on the floor and he stood inside the offering plate. He just stood there. And they said, give us back the plate. He says, no. They said, what are you doing? He said, I'm giving myself. And what he was exemplifying there is that he, was, he said, I can't give money, but I give myself. Whatever, I'll give the best I have, and that's myself. That's what they were doing. They were saying, we, they gave them themselves first to the Lord and then to the, then to the apostles to giving and participating in mission. All I'm trying to say this morning is it's God's will that we participate. Okay, so don't feel like, don't feel like it's just like there's something mystical about it. It's God's will. And God's will is God's best for us. Secondly, notice, it is faith, faith-promised mission the financial support of missionaries is a financial commitment we make uh, that proves the sincerity of our love for God in the missionary look at verse 8 Paul said I speak not my commandment now that's important here watch this Paul said I'm not giving you a commandment you have to participate I'm not giving you a commandment you have to participate but he said it is the will of God that you participate you have a choice He says, I speak this not by commandment, but he says, by occasion of the earnestness or forwardness of others. He said, now look at the example of Berea, Thessalonica, and Macedonia. He says, they participated, and he talked about that in the the preceding verses, to prove the sincerity of your life. He says, I'm speaking to you. They show how much they love Jesus, and how much they love the missionary, and how much they love the churches, and they participate. Now, here's what Faith Promise Missions does. Look, okay. We're going to get those cards out that Brother Denny showed you, and I'm going to show you in a minute. We're going to ask you, and we're not, going to, we're not going to browbeat you. We're not going to coerce you. But God says, I do this to prove the sincerity of your love. If you love the Lord, you believe in missions, and you should believe in missions... You believe in supporting the ministry, then the sincerity of your love is, you know what, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to set aside a mouth that, 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 I, that, that, that I know I can work with on a weekly or monthly basis to help this. Notice thirdly, when we make a commitment to faith promise, giving, we are allowing the grace of God to abound in us. And watch this. In verse 7, he tells a wonderful statement here. Therefore, as you abound in everything. By the way, every one of us abounds in something, okay? If you've got a job, praise God for that. If you're able to save money, praise God for that. If you're just even able to pay your bills, praise God for that. If you've got good health, praise God for that. Paul went beyond that. He talked about special gifts as church at Corinth had. Therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith, and utterance and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that you're bound in this grace also. And here's what God's saying. Some of us, some of us here in this room, there's certain things we're really good at. Uh, Some of us are very good at ushering. And some of us are very good at working the nursery. And some of us are very good at playing an instrument. Hey, why aren't you blessed by the brass ensemble this morning? Amen. And some of us are blessed to play the piano. I'm not one of them. Amen. Okay. Some of them are blessed to sing very well. Praise God for that. And some of us are blessed. uh, We can serve in the AV and all these different things that people do around the church. And we have some wonderful servants of God in our church and have servants' hearts. And I think of some of our staff members. They help participate in serving, uh, serving one of our church families on Friday for a wedding that was beautifully done. And God was glorified. And then right back first thing Saturday morning, they were here helping us get everything ready for our soul winning outreach. I mean, they were I could tell they were tired. But they gave of themselves. They were working to the point of exhaustion. And they abounded in those things. And every one of us abounds in something. But look what he says here. There is your bound in everything. See that you're bound in this grace also. He says, listen, there's something everybody in this room can do. All of us can abound by having the grace of God work in our heart. Now, how many of you this morning felt like today as we sang Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound? To saved a wretch like me, and to sing something that I stand amazed when I consider Jesus Christ. How many felt like, you know, God was working your heart at that moment? Amen? You felt like, man, I felt like I'm in a spirit of worship. I feel like God is at work here. And uh, you got motivated and concerned there. Well, you know what you did there? You just let the Holy Spirit work in your heart so His grace is abounding in you. And Faith Promise Mission is where we take these next few days and we start praying about, now, Lord, you've blessed me, and thank you for exactly how you blessed me, and I want your grace to abound in me. Because as God's grace abounds in you, God, God loosens us from being inhibited to being just, to have a a spirit that wants to participate. Notice fourthly, faith promise spreads responsibility, funding the missionary needs among other churches. I said that uh, earlier. Look at verse 13. For I mean not that other men be bound and ye be burdened, for by an equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, and their abundance may also be a supply for your want, there there may be equality. He says, you serve them as other churches serving them, but listen, we're going to spread the risk out. Hey listen, this morning, even our own missionary sent from our church We don't fully support him completely. We do give a generous amount, but we we want him to be out there getting support from other participating churches so that the burden is eased and they get to share and having the dividends of seeing souls saved there. And then notice something else. Faith promises giving that we make once and then again that demonstrates our love for missions and the mission we have committed to support. We have some missionaries, a precious couple we support down in Mexico City when they first came here, they were new, they couldn't speak Spanish. And that first missions conference, we probably, most of the founding members that are here can remember that. Our founding members of the church who are still here today, many of them are still here today, pledged support 20 years ago to help that couple. They've been here several times. They've got now two or three churches in, throughout Mexico. They've started doing a great work for God. And you know what? It's a, it's a blessing when I consider that, that we, those of us who are founding members who, who came on board the first time, we've done it again and again and again. And again, why? Because the Bible says that you should do it once. And again, for some of you, you've never participated in faith promised mission. This will be your first time. For some of you, you've done it once, but we're urging you and encourage you by the grace of God to do it again. because let God's grace work in you. Look at Philippians 4.10. Paul said this, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me has flourished again, wherein you also were careful, but you lacked opportunity. You see, Paul speaking here to the church of Philippi. He said, look, I'm your missionary. You sent me out. I went from Philippi over there to Thessalonica, then to Berea. He said, your care for me, he said, has flourished again. And so we realize as we have two veteran missionaries with us, Brother Unruh and Brother Hoffman, our our care for them is going to flourish again. And then our care for the three new missionaries that we don't support, we're we're praying that God will do a great work in them. Notice thirdly something very quickly. We must move on. We see the the fundamental priority, the financial practice, but notice the favorable pattern. Now, God gives us a pattern quickly this morning God gives us a pattern a pattern is an example it's a model and notice we see two wonderful models of the grace of God that's at work because for us to understand what we're supposed to do we have to look at a good example now uh, yesterday we were giving some encouragement to the soul winners about how the Lord Jesus Christ builds his church and I'm a believer of this I believe to be a, a good soul winner you have to follow a model soul winner okay now I'm a believer of that I'm thankful for the theory I'm thankful for all that the theory is, but I think we've got to follow the example. The Bible says whose faith follow, okay? So I'm a believer that if you want to be a good soul winner, you need to follow a good sowing. You need to learn the pattern of a good soul winner there, okay? So I encourage our men, let me take you sowering. Uh, couples, I encourage you, let my wife and I take you sewing so we can help you to see how do you, how do you go through the process, and how to look for things, and realize that not every time you go out soul winning it's the same thing. But the, the church is needed, and our church needs a good pattern. So notice this example, number one was a local church. That local church is verse 1, the churches of God in Macedonia. They made this pledge, okay? Paul was their, Paul was their, their missionary. And they said, listen, how's he going to pay for himself? He's got expenses. How's he going to live? What's he going to do? And so the church of Philippi, they're originating. I mean, this is, this is, this is just originating in this mind. They didn't really, really have this all written out at that time. They said, we've got to do something. So they took an offering over and over again. They took offerings to Paul. And they had those offerings sent to him. In fact, later on, we read in 2 Corinthians 11 where Paul re- makes reference to an offering that Timothy and Silas brought to him. I believe that that offering was from the churches of Macedonia that they raised up for Paul at that time. They addressed Paul's need there. So they met his need over and over again. And so he says, I want you to look at these local churches there. How they were willing to do this, okay? These churches in verse 10 had an earnest desire to help Paul financially. Paul." talks about them in verse 10, he talks about them being forward, having earnestness. Then secondly, these churches exhibited grace giving. Look at verse 1, he says, I want you to see, to witness the grace of God bestowed on the church in Macedonia. Now, we want God's grace bestowed on Heritage Baptist Church this morning and through this week. We want an extra measure of grace bestowed upon us we follow what they did. Notice verse 2, they were in poverty. And yet Paul says there was the riches of their liberality. He says, they gave abundantly. I mean, really, when you don't have money, how do you give when you don't have money? How do you give when you don't have the means? And they did so. Notice verse 3, to their power and beyond their power. Now, here's something I want you to understand. They knew what they were capable of doing. That was their power. In fact, he talked about it later on. But they did something incredible. We're going to give beyond our power. They started thinking about, well, you know what? I think I'm going to have this money come in in a few months. I think if I do this now, I'll have that coming later. I, could, I mean, they just, he said, to their power and beyond their power, they gave. They, the grace of God was working. There was a spirit of grace giving. And then notice something else. They, they had just a great faith that when, they, when it says in verse 3, they had great faith God was going to use this. And then notice verse 4. They, they begged Paul. They said, Paul. This is, this is our way of fellowshipping with you. He calls it the fellowship of the ministering to the saints, okay? Now, a first fellowship is like when we have a root beer float night. Now, I love root beer float nights at our church, amen? You know, I love those kind of I love when we have banquets and stuff, but that's not real fellowship. Real fellowship the Bible speaks about is when we stimulate and, and encourage one another. We exhort one another. And here's what he's saying. The fellowship of serving one another comes about we take up these special pledges and offerings to help support those missionaries there. And so they abounded with them. They begged Paul in verse 4 to accept that. And then in verse 4, notice he said this. He says, that, please take the gift. They said, please take the gift, Paul. And so we have the example of the local churches. But we have another example. Look at verse 9. We have the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul said the example of the church of Macedonia are great, verses 1 to 8. But the example of the Lord Jesus Christ is even better. That's just like the book of Hebrews. Paul keeps talking about that which is better. Jesus is better, amen. He's better than the world. He's better than all those things. Jesus is is the best. And so he says here he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, You're saved. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do you know it? You got saved. You called on Jesus to save you. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, he's the creator of all the universe. He made this world that we live in. He was, and as he's talking about that, I'm wondering if he had them. Just look at the Judean hillsides, at the grapevines growing there. And I'm wondering if he's having the church at Corinth look at all the abundance of things that they had. And looking out across the Mediterranean Sea, and all the, the port where the port where the call, where the ships came in. They, they started thinking about God being rich in all things. Though he was rich, he became poor. How did he become poor? He was born in a simple, humble carpenter's home. He grew up in Nazareth, the poorest of all the Galilean cities. It was a poor place. In fact, it was so poor, some young man sarcastically said, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? He grew up in poverty. He had very little listen, you talk about his poverty, he, when he was born, they didn't have a cradle, they didn't have a crib, they didn't even have blankets for Jesus to be laid. He was put in a horse trough. They had to wrap him in swaddling clothes, broke, torn up bandages and pieces of cloth. He was born in a horse stable, the creator of God. Nobody, there was no room in the infirm. And listen, he, you think about his ministry. He grew up homeless. He lived his ministry homeless. Day by day, where would I put my head? Where will the food come from? But he said this, that you through his poverty might be made rich. Here's the greatest thing about Jesus and his grace. He became like you and I, yet without a sinful nature. He retained his deity, his sinless nature, his holiness. Because only a sinless holy man could die for the sins of all the world. And only a sinless holy man who was the perfect man and a holy God could die for your sins and mine. I need to wrap this up. We'll probably have to come back to this. But let me say this to you today. One of my favorite stories is about a preacher a. J. Gordon pastor to church up in Boston, Massachusetts. He's a very eloquent preacher. If you can find any of his works, you'll enjoy reading A.J. Gordon. Dr. Gordon was making a walk to church one morning, and as he did so, he heard these chirping birds. He heard these chirping birds. He looked around the corner. He saw a little, a little poor-looking boy, a little boy that just kind of a country boy. He had this old rattled-up cage. And he found that this boy had some birds in a cage. And he was, he was kind of being very rough with these little birds there. And he said, wondering, what are you doing? And he went up to the little boy and said, son, what are you doing? And he says, are those your birds? He says, well, yes and no. He says, these little birds, I kind of found them. I captured them out of a nest. And I took these little birds. And, you know, I, I think I'm just going to just kind of play with them kind of roughly. And then eventually I'm just going to hold them my hand and feed them to a cat and let a cat eat them. And Mr. Gordon, Pastor Gordon said, well, son, that's kind of cruel and mean. He says, why would you do something like that? He says, I don't know. These little birds are worthless. They don't mean anybody anything to anybody. And Dr. Gordon got moved in his heart, but God was moving his mind. A, a sermon illustration. He reached his pocket. He says, son, I will give you $1, which in those days was a lot of money. I will give you one dollar if you'll give me all those little birds. He said, mister, those birds aren't even worth a, a penny. He said, they're worth nothing. Why would you want to buy those birds? You can get your own birds somewhere else. He said, I'll give you a dollar. He said, sir, that is a bad bargain. You're going to give me a dollar for all of these birds. He says, these birds don't mean anything. But he said, if you want to give me the dollar, he was a good entrepreneur, I'll take the dollar. Amen. And so they exchanged hands and the pastor gave him the dollar, which was a lot of money in those days. Pastor Gordon took that di- broken, dilapidated cage and those little birds in it. He took those birds. He waited till the little boy was gone. And he went behind the barn where the boy was playing. He looked at those birds and tears were coming down his eyes. And he opened up the little, the little hatch, which was the opening. He grabbed one bird at a time and said, you can go free. You can go free. You can go free. The next day, he used that as a sermon illustration. He was preaching about the grace of God to his church, his Baptist congregation there up there in Boston, Massachusetts. He was telling them about about the Lord Jesus Christ and preaching a verse just like this, 2 Corinthians 8-9. And he told them how he found those little birds. And he says, listen, that little boy said those birds weren't worthless, but they meant something to me. And he says, I got those little birds and I prayed an exorbitant price to buy those birds. But listen, I set those birds free and I let them go. I said, you can go free. You can go free. And he said, I heard the chirping of those little Birth And it wasn't a distressful chirping. And it wasn't a chirping as if they thought they were going to die. It was a cheerful chirping. It was as if they were saying, I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. And he said, listen, that's what God's grace does for everyone who receives Jesus Christ as Savior. For every person who's a sinner that recognizes they need to get saved. The moment you get saved in Jesus in your heart, you know what happens? You're free. You're free. You're no longer caged up. You're no longer under the bondage of sin. No longer are you under the condemnation of sin. You are free from the penalty of sin. Why have because you're free. The Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And so this morning when you receive the grace of God for salvation. God's gift of salvation is not something you have to work for. It's not something you have to earn. It's not something that you have to do, you have to do penance for. It's not something that you have to give a special offering for. And it's not something that you get, you get baptized. No. Listen. The gift of salvation is the gift from God. It's free. And when you receive it, you're free. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is. There's liberty. When God's Spirit lives in you, the moment God's Spirit comes to live in you, the moment you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. We need to wrap it up this morning quickly. The churches of Macedonia were a good example of giving beyond their power. And fervently, we can participate as well. And my prayer for every church member, to every faithful church attendee, is to begin praying right now, Lord, help me to have the heart, just like the church at Macedonia. The churches at Macedonia. Father, let your grace abound through me. How many come with the spirit of giving me? Because God is not going to ask you to give what you don't have. God wants you to work with what you do have. You can start praying, considering, what is it that you've helped me to have? And God said, we abound in everything. And so we must consider as we abound in everything. How can God's grace work through us so that the work of missions can be done? And you say, well, how am I going to get that done? Well, I'll tell you how you're going to get it done. Because God is faithful. He tells us later on that in his promise, he will give us what we need. He says, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. As you, as you participate in this grace, God is able to make all grace abound in you. That ye, having sufficiency of all things, may abound in this thing as well. God will take care of you. You say, pastor, you don't know how tight it is. I do know how tight it is. But you just trust God. And as you make that, you step out, God promises to take care of you. And that's what Paul told that church. He said, listen, those churches, he says, I I didn't necessarily need you to give to me. But he says, I wanted you to give so that fruit would abound to your account. Now, fruit needs to abound to the account of this church. And fruit needs to abound in your account. So one day when you stand before the Lord, you can give it a good account that you said, Lord, I did what you wanted me to do. I did your will. Let's obey God this week. Let's be mission-centric. Let's say it's mission is positive. You come back tonight. I'm excited about the message this evening. It's a very, a very colorful message. It'll help you understand tonight uh, the matter that missions is possible. How are we going to get the job done through God? And then today, if you are not 100% sure you're saved, like those two young ladies, like hundreds of our people in this room, you can be saved today. The grace of God can save you from your sins. Simply while you're where you're seated, you must acknowledge that you know you're a sinner who needs to be saved. Sin is terrible. Sin has to be punished. And because sin has to be punished, God chose to punish His Son, Jesus Christ, for your sins and mine, so that we don't have to be sentenced and spend all of eternity in hell. God wants you to go to heaven. Today, if you feel a sense of God's grace working you, like the example of the little birds, God wants to set you free. God wants to set you free from the burden of sin. He can forgive you your sins and give you the gift of eternal life. It's simply by faith you would call on the Lord Jesus to save you this morning. I'm going to invite you this morning. If you're not saved, like several did yesterday, I'm going to invite you this morning to ask Jesus to be your Savior. If you're not sure, get saved today. And then, Christian friend, the grace of God's been at work through this message. How is God's grace wanting you to respond? How should you respond to the work of God?